the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's robblack.com. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, joining me right now, CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, how are you? Doing well, how are you? Doing well. Let's talk about potential ways to plan for long-term care that you might need during retirement. And this is you know, obviously a personal issue for me, and probably a personal issue for a lot of our listeners. As, for instance, my mother has used long-term care numerous times now. Um, she's an older woman, and she needs more and more care, it seems. Yeah, well, and here's what I'm talking about. Again, it seems like every couple of years I see a really rapid case of okay. dementia or Alzheimer's. So the first time I saw this happen, Alzheimer's is usually kind of a, a slow, you know, you can see it coming for several years. And I've seen two cases where I, you know, picked up the phone, started talking to a client, and I said, you know, how was your weekend? And He's talking about how he was mining up in the hills of some South Dakota, whatever, and it's just making absolutely no sense. And you're like, okay, something's wrong here. Um, some other kind of similar situation last month. So I had Nicole, one of our CFPs, write a blog on uh, long-term care. And so it'll be up here shortly. Newfocusfinancial.com. But it's a ba- the three basic ways to plan for long-term care. And here's the deal. I mean, you go in to retirement thinking that, well, you got Medicaid, or you got Medicare, rather, and you're going to be okay. And that's not the case because you have all these other supplemental insurance to deal with the co-pays and the doctor visits and things like that that we talk about all the time. And what it doesn't really cover is if you have a long-term disability when you're older. Grandma goes in for Alzheimer's, grandpa falls and breaks his hip, goes in, and it's, it's tough. So, the average annual cost of home care in California, if you want somebody to come to your house and take care of you, is $52,000 a year right now. Most Americans that are turning 65 are underprepared for retirement just for their own standard of living, let alone trying to come up with fifty-two grand a year to pay for somebody to come to your house and cook for you and clean and help you get in and out of bed. So if you go to a semi-private nursing home room, those could be around $86,000 a year based on current numbers. So people need to think about this as they go into retirement and say, okay, what am I going to do? 
and there's three basic options. And uh, so we can talk about that. You know, when I was in college, I was able to pay like 5 to $10 to have a sorority girl come tuck me into bed and read me a goodnight story. I wasn't a sorority girl, Rob. <laughs> no, she really was. No, she and wasn't. She, and she, she came <laughs> with a buddy. Was a tall girl sorority? Is that no, the, no, that no. <laughs> no, no. Don't go there. Don't go there. It's actually a true story. Um, it's just a, a fundraiser, so to speak. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. That's, is that how they sold it? Don't. Good God, man. <laughs> Seriously. Which college is this again? Seriously. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, you went there first. No, I was just telling a story about like, long-term care. You know, you said have someone come and take care of you. Right. That's where that got. Okay. So let's, go, let's talk self-insuring. What do we need to know? We're running out of time. Well, this is how most people think that they're going to do it is self-insure. And then they get to that point in life and they realize that, okay, if I do self-insure, and let's say I'm, I'm having somebody come take care of my spouse or my spouse is in the nursing home, if you self-insure the person that's living at home that's healthy runs out of money. And so they go to option number two, which is have the government pay, and that's Medicaid. And in California, it's called Medi-Cal. Basically, to get on this, you have to spend down your assets to about $2,000. Now, there are spousal impoverishment laws so that you can work with an attorney and you can legally, shifting assets isn't the right word, but you can legally get some assets um, protected for the well spouse living at home. But Medi-Cal will come in and recover their costs of the spouse's second death. And when people try to give away money and get on Medi-Cal, um, there, there could be some legal prosecution from that if, if you're actually trying to hide assets. So having the government pay means you basically have gone into poverty or you're on a very restricted income that you've done some Medicaid or Medi-Cal planning with an attorney. So that leaves long-term care insurance. And I don't know if you've seen any of the articles, Rob, but this stuff's gotten very expensive lately. Yeah, it seems to be the, the, insurance, com- the insurance companies are smart. They want to protect their profits. They don't want to pay out tons of money. So they're making it a little bit tougher. And, you know, what I've run into with long-term care is that my mom even has long-term care. She doesn't know that she has long-term care. She can't read the contracts that she has long-term care. Mm-hmm. So it turns, into, it turns into an issue that the children really need to know. Yeah, it is. And that's why um, a good long-term care insurance agent will ask you about that, so about even you know who gets the premium notices so that you continue to pay if you get older and you forget. Um, it's good to have those family meetings, those state planning meetings where you're dealing with wills, trusts, health care directives, things like what happens if you need extended care. But, but long-term care insurance, I mean, rates have been going up for people. Um, there used to be a way you could get spousal discounts if both people bought at the same time. That's gone away. And women are now related. I was looking at a quote from an insurance agent. I'm, I don't sell this stuff, but I, we go through financial plans and, and let people know whether or not they need it what, and what they should do about it. And I was looking at a quote from an agent where women are now rated more than men. So at 65, I think the, uh, the male's premium for like a three or a four year plan was 3000 bucks a year. The females was around 4,000 bucks a year because the issue is that females are going into nursing homes and staying longer where men go in for a shorter period of time and pass away. That's, that's the, the statistics right now. So you should still definitely look at it. I mean, if you're 55 years old and you're maxing out your 401k, your Roth IRAs, you've got a lot of money saved, and your advisor that does not sell the insurance says, okay, you probably need it, so go ahead and buy it if you're on track for retirement, if you've got some extra cash flow. 
um, if you've you know, started saving early. If you're way behind the curve, you may not be able to afford it, so keep saving, 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 and look at it again when you're like 60, 65 years old. If you have a lot of family health issues, like a lot of dementia and Alzheimer's, you know, look when you're younger as well. And then also have a plan B. I mean, if, if you can't afford the insurance, what's your plan B? Moving out of state, selling the house, reverse mortgage. This is a very important thing because it's not just the person that goes in the nursing home and needs the care. It's the spouse that's at home, that's healthy. They're at home healthy and potentially broke because of the situation. So, And this is the budgetary issues that are really affecting the United States. It's, it's the Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security issue. We're almost out of time. Is there anything else you want to add to this topic? We've got about 30 seconds. If you bought it, be aware that your rates will eventually go up. Um, unless you did a 10-pay program where it's all paid up and you're done, your rates will likely go up because companies had mispriced this 10, 15 years ago. So they are going to increase rates if you haven't already seen one. CFP Chad Burton, newfocusfinancial.com. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. He and I do seminars. I do seminars. Um, yeah, that's correct, Grammar. You know, I do seminars uh, on a regular basis. You can find out more about the seminars and get downloadables and articles at the website, newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Now, I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find me at a podcast of the show at kdow.biz. It's kdow.biz. I do the morning show Mondays through Fridays, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on KDOW. Business Radio. Where one click could connect you with a reputable professional. and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Microsoft's going to announce job cuts as soon as this week. That's pretty well known and out there. Plenty of the biggest round of job cuts in five years. Software maker looks to slim down, trying to integrate Nokia's handset unit. Reductions which may be unveiled probably this week, probably going to be in areas such as Nokia and divisions of Microsoft that overlap with the business, as well as marketing and engineering. Restructuring may end up being the biggest in Microsoft history, topping the 5,800 job cuts in 2009. So the new CEO, Satya Nadella, issued his first company mission statement. Um, it, it, he's going to do that this week, and part of it's going to be you know job cuts. 127,104 employees. Uh, some of the job cuts will be in marketing departments for global Xbox team. The European Xbox team is based in Reading, UK. When Microsoft agreed to acquire Nokia's mobile phone service in September, they said you know $600 million in the annual cost savings into 18 months after the deal closes. So that's an example of downsizing. On Wall Street, they refer to it as right-sizing. I wouldn't read too much into my comment on that because one day I'll lose my job you know it and I know it 
With that said, let's take a look at how Microsoft is uh, playing out today. Wow, GoPro had a bad day yesterday and a good day today. So yesterday, GoPro got kind of the negative backlash of, hey, it's eventually going to be a feature and not necessarily dominant. Uh, so Microsoft uh, breaking up today, 4236, um, at its 52-week high. So Wall Street apparently likes that story. Let's take a quick look at market numbers. And then let's talk a little real estate. We've got the SP 500 down in fractions. The Dow's up 13. The Nasdaq down 11. Welcome in to a moment with Shakespeare. Macbeth once said, "To get points or not to get points." Okay, so that's not true. But that's a question that people have. To be or not to be. Another question they have is, should I buy points when I get a mortgage? When I get a loan, should I pay money to get a lower cost loan? It, I mean, that almost sounds like a scam. That almost sounds too good to be true. It's an odd concept that you have to pay to lower your rate. Points, paying for points. Pay, uh, point is equal to a percentage of your loan amount. So if you're paying one point, that's 1%. If it's a $400,000 loan, that's $4,000 extra. So if, but if paying that point drops your rate by a quarter percent and you save $150 a month, divide 4000 by 150 and that's how many months it takes for you to recoup those costs. So if you keep it longer than that, those months, let's say it's 33 months, and you plan on keeping that house for seven years, 84 months, you're going to benefit every month after that. So it's an investment into your loan. Um, a lot of people use uh, points when rates are going up or if it's in a purchase and the seller is giving them some concessions because on a purchase, all of your costs are out of your pocket, the down payment plus your closing costs. So the best way to get some additional costs is either from the rate, which is the opposite of paying points, or from the seller. So if the seller is giving you some concessions in cash, you can use that to pay points, which pays off over the long term. So somebody else is paying you you for having a lower rate. I recently got an email from someone who was going through a refi, and he says, I've never paid points. And that was interesting because I was like, I've always paid points. And I, I look at it as buying them. It's buying a cheaper loan. And if I'm going to be in the house or if I'm going to have a rental for more than two, three years, typically the math is going to work out that it's worth it, especially in low interest rate environments. So if you're getting lower interest rates. Right. And the people who don't pay points are actually at a higher rate than if they actually paid some costs. So th- this brings me to um, my issue I have with banks and other kinds of brokers and bankers that don't give options out. They're looking at the mass amount of people out there looking to refinance or purchase a house and saying, oh, we're going to give you low costs. In reality, they may not be doing the right service to this borrower when they should have paid a point, and it would have saved them money on a longer term. So they're not really qualifying. They're looking at those emotions, of, uh, and they're looking at, at a formula that says, if we advertise this, we're going to get more return on our uh, on our clients. So make sure that when you do look at a loan, look at all of the options. As a matter of fact, the new rules that came out last year make brokers uh, explain that if you paid points, this would be your lowest rate. If you don't pay points, this is the rate. And by the way, I'm choosing this rate. So it's called a, it's part of the anti-steering rule where we're not steering you into a product that's making you, us more money and costing you more money. So be very careful about somebody who says no points. That also means you're taking a higher rate. I always find it um, intimidating, the process of getting a loan, because at some point in time, you look at the cost, you look at how much you're borrowing, you're looking at how long it's going to take to pay off. So that's the area that I think most people talk themselves out of points, and I really, really want people to run both scenarios. Uh, Because, yes, when you look at that that final sheet of how much stuff costs and how many pieces of paper you're going to have to sign, 
you know, I've paid attorneys to sign for me because I don't like mortgages, mortgage paperwork that much. I'm just like, you go sign for me. Um, you get it done. Um, well, I guess what I'm trying to say here is don't get intimidated by the process and know that points, generally, in my opinion, are a good thing to consider. Uh, if you think you're going to be moving the next year or two, no. But then again, if you think you're going to be moving the next year or two, a 30-year mortgage isn't appropriate for you either. Right, and you could do the same thing by getting an arm, uh, like a five-year arm. If you're going to leave in two years, get a five-year arm or a three-year arm. You're going to get a lower rate to begin with and then do a no point, and your rate's lower as if you were to pay points on a 30-year. So but that freaks people out because what if I can't sell the property in three to five years on the arm and I can't refinance and I can't – and the rates go right. – like, oh the, rate, oh, the rates went higher. Like, people freak out. Yep. And, uh, we're all going to die. Earth is going to go hurtling in the sun at some point in time, and I just don't think life Aren't is. we getting closer to the sun every year? Uh, now you're freaking me out. You're listening to Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. NBA is seeking double rights fees from Disney and Time Warner. League's aiming to lock up deals for nationally televised games. It's Wayne splitting up the NBA Finals. Disney and Turner have eight-year contracts in place that run through 2015-2016, but the companies are already in discussions with the league about extending their deals. Disney is currently paying about $485 million a year, while Turner's deal is worth $445 million. Given those terms, doubling the payments implies the new deals would be worth $15 billion. You know, does anyone want to hear a truth from me? I've never watched a complete NBA basketball game beginning to end. I probably have watched a whole quarter, but I can't promise you that. I've definitely watched half of a quarter, but not very often. I like college basketball, professional basketball. It's just the athletes are too good. It's not to me. It's like they can score if they want to score. Uh, okay, I'm digressing. So fifteen billion dollars. It sounds like a lot, right? For eight years. Netflix could do that in a heartbeat. Google can do that in a heartbeat. Apple could do it. What's the future of media? I don't think it's what we're seeing right now. I think it's slowly, slowly evolving. Anyhow, and anyway, let's give some market numbers, shall we? SP 500 down fractions, Dow's up 11, record territory. Nasdaq's down 10. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM twelve twenty KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing dot com. After his after my show ends at nine a.m. Pacific time, I cut and post his spot. So uh, find it online, and you can find it at Twitter. You can find it at Rob Black Show. You can find it at uh, YouTube, Rob Black Show, Facebook, I Hate Rob Black, and pass it around. Anyway, how are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, always my favorite segment of the week. I get to talk with the chief market analyst and get to talk about my favorite thing, the markets. Um, how are the markets doing? 
Well, they're doing pretty darn good, all things considered. Uh, you have these major indices that are, uh, you know, trolling along at uh, record highs, um, and a Nasdaq that's uh, at a 14-plus year high, um, and essentially you have a market that just continues to um, uh, continue to move with a bullish bias. Uh, we saw that even, you know, last week where you had a uh, ability to bounce back from some, um, uh, you know or the sizable losses of late, and uh, and the market just will not uh, go down to any uh, great degree. It's funny that you said the Nasdaq's at a 14-year high. It's been a long time since those speculative frothy days. Remember the term froth? I do. <laughs> so. I'm hearing it more and more these days, too. That's fair. That's fair. Um, with that said, let's bring in, um, I want to play you some audio clips and get your response because it, I think it has a direct tie to froth. This comes from CNBC yesterday with Rick Santelli freaking out on air. Let's play clip one. Those demographics don't have money. They don't have jobs. They're living in their parents' basement, and less than half of Americans own stock portfolios. So who exactly are we helping here? Let's play clip two. The traders in Chicago never contributed one penny to the credit crisis. Not one penny. I'm not sure not what that. Not one penny. I'm not sure how that has anything to do with what this I just said, model. but it sounds Danny good. Nobody applauded you. This is the model. Okay. So Rick Santelli is, I think, one of the smartest people on CNBC, and I, I don't really like CNBC. I'd much rather talk to you. But that was damn entertaining yesterday. He freaked out, flipped out, walked off set, came back on. Um, he's kind of anti-Janet Yellen. He's kind of, in, and I'm putting words into his mouth, he kind of wants the economy to do what the economy is going to do. He doesn't really like the Fed doing monetary policy. What Did you, did you see his meltdown yesterday, or is this so out of context for you? I did. I, I watched it live, and then I, I watched it again, because <laughs> um, it was uh, certainly entertaining. Uh, and uh, and I would agree with you. You know, I think he's a, a really really smart guy who uh, has a lot of um, you know very good analytical perspective. Um, he's obviously concerned about what you know the Fed's monetary policy might produce. Uh, and as his uh, his on-air rival Steve Leisman pointed out, though, all of the things that uh, Mr. Santelli has been warning about for the last five years have yet to come to pass, uh, i.e. that the monetary policy is going to lead to much higher inflation, uh, that there would be no demand for our bonds once the Fed, you know, stepped back or dialed back its asset purchases. Um, so, you know, Leisman had obviously a very uh, good uh, counter argument to be made. Now, time is ultimately going to be the judge here as to whether Mr. Santelli's views do pan out. Um, and until you get this wage growth pickup and, and banks starting to lend more freely and consumers wanting to borrow that money that they're willing to lend, um, it, you know, the inflation argument probably will continue to be struck down uh, because you're not seeing it being sustained. You're getting some transitory influences from higher food costs, higher energy costs. Uh, but without those two elements there, higher wage growth, stronger loan demand, uh, uh, then it does make some sense that inflation pressure should should remain in check, despite what the Fed has done thus far. What did you think about his comment on who are we helping? Because he kind of went off on people who are living at home, coming out of college, living at home. They're, they don't have 401Ks. I have a 401K, and I looked at it yesterday, Pat, and it was like at an all-time high, and I'm thrilled. I couldn't yeah. be happier. 
there is kind of a divergence. And it, to me, there is some truth that, you know, right now you're almost ignorant. And this is just a me commentary. You're almost ignorant if you're not in the stock market with this cheap money that Janet Yellen's providing the stock market or, or the capital markets. Um, who are we helping? Is it a case that do you agree that I'm like you almost have to be in the markets, or is that like yeah. maybe that's that's the now there's gonna be a correction tonight or tomorrow? Yeah, right. So, well, no, I think I think you know you're right, Rob. I mean, and, and it is kind of what uh, you know I've been saying for a while as well is that you know you can. And I've been critical of the Fed policy as well. Um, I'm worried that it will lead to some, you know, unintended consequences, the timing of which are exactly unknown. But, um, you know, you're asking a whole lot of the Fed, given its extremely aggressive policy, to get its timing right in terms of, you know, extracting some of that liquidity to prevent, you know, runaway inflation or or financial bubbles within the stock market, certainly from from popping. Um, but it. it it's, it is the, the issue of the day. I mean, the Fed is basically telling you to go buy stocks, and it has done that since 2009. It has interest rates at zero. Um, it, it is forcing you into these higher-yielding instruments, and those people who have you know, basically uh, have not been scared out of the stock market by what happened in 2000 and what happened again in 2008 uh, have indeed benefited handsomely. Now, who is this really helping? That's been one of the criticisms all along, too, though, is that because the Fed's policy has created a real divide between Main Street and Wall Street. You know, if you're participating on Wall Street, you most likely have done quite well. But the fact of the matter is, is that under 50% of, you know, people uh, actually own any stocks. And so there's a great uh bit of uh, disparity there in, in that a good chunk of the United States uh, is not participating in this tremendous bull market run because they don't have any, um, uh, any you know, cash in the game, so to speak. And so, uh, so they're being left behind, and you're seeing that divide develop between the millennials uh, Mr. Santelli had referred to uh, and, uh, you know, those older you know, wiser, if you will, individuals who have will, been willing and able to ride out this, this you know, vol- these volatile periods within the stock market. Now let's change the commentary and go back to something a little less, I, I'm not, I, I don't even know how to say this. Like, that's to me almost discouraging how uh, negative that got yesterday. But it does show you that, you know, CNBC is in the business of yelling and Patrick O'Hare is in the business of analyzing um, what do you analyze? What are you seeing out there that's important today? Right. Well, kind of, you know, along the same lines, what I recently wrote for the Big Picture column on Briefing.com was a, a perspective about how well these, you know, dividend-paying stocks have done, and particularly the dividend aristocrats. Those are companies in the S&P 500 that have increased their dividends for at least 25 consecutive years. So these are essentially the best of the best. They offer not only dividend payments, but reliable dividend growth. And that's a really important component for income-seeking investors out there. But having said that, uh, keeping things consistent with my recent market view where I've said that I'm not all that enthused by the near-term risk-reward dynamic and that it might be advisable to go ahead and consider, you know, taking some, some profits, maybe not selling out of, you don't sell out of these core positions, but you certainly take some money off the table. Um, it, Everyone is kind of saying the same thing, right? You don't have any other alternative but to go into the stock market. And to that end, if you want total return, you go into these, you know, uh, very robust dividend payers. But, 
you know, what that does is everyone's leaning in the same direction, and so you get this multiple expansion that does create added risk for price corrections down the road, and they could be material in the event that you get a stock market dislocation uh, driven by, you know, purely emotional selling or what have you. But um, so just one piece of advice, I'm not saying to sell out of these names altogether, but to go ahead and be prudent here and look at those stocks that have had made big runs and perhaps take some money off the table and and, and then look to reallocate that later once the, you know, I think that the market is certainly overdue for, for a pullback, if not a correction, and then, you know, reallocate that accordingly. So that's one area of advice, uh, one point of advice I've been making of late. And, and obviously I'm going to continue to watch uh, how the earnings reporting period uh, unfolds here. Okay. With that said, you know, it's, um, it's going into earnings season. What would make you more bullish? What would make you more bearish? And maybe you don't want to answer that in two minutes or less. Yeah, well, you know, I think what, what would you know, make me more bullish is that you see uh, quality earnings growth, you know, not uh, earnings per share growth that's been engineered primarily through, uh, you know, share buybacks uh, or which has been the result of, you know, lower tax rates and, um, uh you want quality there. You want to see it uh, being top-line driven, really. Um, and uh, I think, you know, case in point this morning, I think you had J.P. Morgan Chase coming out. They beat estimates, and, and we get yet another lesson of kind of how silly earning season is here right now because the, the headlines are going to trumpet just how, how great the report was. You know, they beat by $0.16. Cents. Um, their investment banking revenue did not decline nearly as much as people had worried about. But the fact of the matter is on a year over year basis, you know, JP Morgan saw a decline in, you know, net income, they saw a decline in revenue, they saw a decline in earnings per share. So it wasn't really a strong report if you ask me. It was a strong report relative to the expectations going into the uh, report. But from a fundamental standpoint, there's certainly a lot of room for improvement there, uh, because they're looking at year over year declines across a number of their their core business lines. So um, you have to make those types of distinctions here. And what I would like to see is some real quality earnings growth driven by top-line revenue growth, perhaps turn me a little bit more uh, bullish here uh, uh, beyond the summer months. Thank you so much for putting up with me. It's Patrick O'Hare. He's Chief Market Analyst at Briefing.com, independent live market analysis. He writes great pieces. That piece on... AM 1220 KDOW traffic. I play football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I do off the field with United Way might be more important. I'm a volunteer tutor. Listening to Rob Black and your money on AM twelve twenty KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Always keep your heart locked in. Don't let your mind read that. Always keep your heart This band sounds strangely like the Eagles to me from the nineteen eighties. Anyway, um, but it's a girl band, which is kind of different, but kind of similar, right? 
so Jack Bauer, he pulled it off again at the end of 24-8 season. The biggest thing fans were left without was closure. With Jack on the run from all American and Russian military and intelligent forces, it was obvious there were future plans in place. That, of course, being plans for a feature film that never materialized. Now, just hours after the finale of the series' return in 24 Live Another Day, it's nice to know we can take solace in the fact that the writers did not make the same mistake twice. Um, happy closure. So, it's kind of nice to see. Again, Fox is television, but Fox is also publicly traded. So, um, I don't know. We'll talk a little bit about those kind of concepts later. I have an awesome story today, and I don't usually get to use the word awesome because I think it's, how shall we say, overused? But I think this is pretty awesome, and not really what I was expecting today to see. Novartis and Google, they're joining together to work on a smart contact lens that monitors blood sugar levels and corrects vision. Awesome. The latest in a series of technology products designed to monitor body functions. The two companies said Novartis' Alcon Eye Care division would license and commercialize smart lens technology designed by Google. Google X, in particular, a development team at the search engine giant. No financial terms on it. Smart lenses were unveiled in January. They're part of a growing number of wearable technology and software products used to monitor health and fitness. Last month, Google debuted its Google Fit platform to track health metrics such as sleep and exercises, exercise on devices running their Android software. I think this is, again, I was talking to someone yesterday, and he's kind of a doom and gloomer. He's kind of a stoner. And, uh, like, how's this all going to end? And, again, you see the haves and the have-nots. You see, you know, a home in the Bay Area selling for a million dollars that would sell for $100,000 in other parts of the country or less. But it doesn't have the access to the jobs. So this is going to be a huge area of growth in the future is healthcare. Um, there's, some, like, a Fidelity Healthcare Fund that you need to consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks mentioned that I think is pretty attractive uh, for the long-term patient investor. There's similar funds and there's similar ETFs out there. And what you do is grab four or five of them and pull up charts on four or five of them and see how they compare to each other. Because like smart lenses that contain a tiny sensor that relays data on glucose contained in tears by an equally tiny antenna. Are you going to put an antenna in your eye? I am. Google described described the electronics in the lenses as being so small they look like bits of glitter. The antenna is thinner than the human hair. So this would be incredibly easy and comprehensive. Um, again, you have to wear contacts, which is probably the most annoying part. But pricking your finger to get droplets of blood? Uh-uh. Right now, 382 million people in the world. No, 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 no. no. 382 million people have diabetes in the world. That's one in every 19. That's a class of disease in which the body is unable to deal with sugar usually because of inadequate or no production of insulin. In the United States alone, it's 9.3% of our population. It's You're investing in... Diabetes isn't going to go away. It's not going to go away. We're fat. And some of us are born diabetic. And you can be skinny as a rail. So 
Google's trying to make a product that one out of ten Americans could potentially use. So Novartis' second largest business, Alcon, posted net sales of $10.5 billion last year. Um, again, are smart contact lenses going to catch on immediately? Probably not. Will one out of ten people use them? Definitively not. But it's just worthy of note. It's a trend. Here's a trend that's disturbing for the United States. You've heard about a lot of um, medical companies staying with healthcare here that are leaving the United States to get tax status in another country. How much do you think America stands to lose with potentially companies leaving the United States for what's referred to as tax inversion? About $20 billion over a decade if new tax inversions uh, aren't halted. So companies like Mylan's billion-dollar stock purchase of Abbott Labs, um, we have to change our tax code in the United States, and we probably have to make it friendlier. Otherwise, corporations are going to do this. And when they leave, they don't come back. So it's difficulty knowing how much companies pay in tax. It, it's complex. It's a difficult issue to really grasp. Effective tax rates that companies disclose in the regulatory filings may not include certain variables like tax benefits, that you know, stock options, uh, tax disputes. But I think there's a problem there. And if you want to live in a world where corporations are evil, that's fine. If you want to live in a world that, where corporations provide jobs in the United States, that's the world I want to live in. But I guess it's all up to you, huh? With that said, taking a look at the stock market. Dow Components, Goldman Sachs, and J.P. Morgan reported by the expected results. June retail sales missed expectations. Strength day in financials, industrials, materials, tech, and utilities. Weakness in consumer discretionary, consumer staples, energy, and healthcare. Facebook a little bit weaker. Yelp a little bit weaker. Um, biotech index a little bit weaker. This is really a big week for earnings. Um, so this is a big week of earnings. And it could be a catalyst for the market to go lower. We've had such a great run. I, I can't predict it. No crystal ball. But at some point in time, we need a really good 10% flush down the toilet of the stock market. It'll make us better. Burr, burr, baby. Um, find me online at robblack.com. Big seminar coming up in Thursday. Thursday. Holy mackerel in Los Gatos. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. It's Thursday evening. Sign up at robblack.com. Consultation. That's 408-947-76. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his insurance. The economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you. At 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Don't be shy. That's the number one thing on the show is let's address your financial issues. We could do it through headlines. We could do it through emails. We can do whatever we can. Um, and what I mean by that is let's talk retirement issues. Like, Let's not show any fear of this. Let's talk Apple. I own shares of Apple. I legally have to tell you that on occasion. Barclays is bullish on Apple. Listen to this. It's a company we all know. 
They're so optimistic that the firm says it's back on board with the iPhone and iPad maker stock price and expects the recent rally to continue in the months ahead. Barclays analyst upgraded his rating on Apple to overweight from equal weight, lifted his price target 16% to 110 bucks a share. He calls a few big changes since March. He's optimistic for three reasons. Now, this is where you can learn a little bit about Wall Street. Listen to what the analysts are looking for. And then when it doesn't happen, know that that's what is a reason to sell, or that is a reason to lighten up, or that is a reason to change your opinion. He said Apple's regained investor confidence. Okay. Samsung has struggled more than expected, and Barclays' so-called product checks are pretty optimistic. The call, or the note, said Tim Cook has solidified his strategy and regained confidence of Apple stakeholders. Reversing many of the warning signs we saw earlier in the year. Stock's up more than 20% this year. It's risen roughly 58% over the past 12 months. Apple did its 7-for-1 stock split. company increased its number of shares outstanding while lowering the price accordingly. Splits don't change anything fundamentally about the company. But it does look perceived cheaper. Um, Barclays said, we are compelled to get on board even if it's midway through the rebound trade. That's nice of them to say. Basically, they said, you know, we didn't really tell you to get in back when this was an $80 stock or $75 stock. We could have, but we didn't. Um, But now we feel pretty comfortable jumping on board. Now, let's change the topic ever so slightly and go to Microsoft. Because Apple, Microsoft, and Google all kind of intertwine with each other, in my opinion as does other companies like Samsung. Microsoft's new CEO, Satya Nadella, visited uh, a tech conference. And he was animated and idealistic, but he was short on specifics. When asked about Microsoft wearables, he replied with three short words. Nothing more. He said, we have ambitions. Microsoft's former cloud guru offered an interesting answer when asked if his company could learn a thing or two from Google and its experimental X-Labs that build companies' moonshot projects, like the self-driving car and glass. And he said, as far as Google moonshots, he said, quote, always a lot to learn from people who market themselves well. And that's a little bit of gamesmanship. But he's also right. So far, Google's Sergey Brin has done a great job of drumming up hype for his company's semi-secret lab since 2010. Most of the projects are still in their infancy stages. Nothing from Google X is ready for the public yet, but we all are kind of excited by it, I think. You know, Google Glass is kind of a cool concept, maybe. There's seven Google X projects that we know about. They are Google Glass, self-driving car, smart contact lenses, for monitoring glucose, which was brought up in the public today. Talked about that in the first hour. The balloon experiment, aiming to provide Internet access. There's an artificial neural network hoping to give computers machine vision. There's the wind energy company, Makani Power, and the kind of the web of things, which is Google's way of connecting objects to the Internet. So Google's life extension project to help us cheat death is out there. Google's plan to build robots for businesses also out there, but neither of those are part of X-Labs. But they are considered moonshots. So 
whether it be a space elevator or a hoverboard or teleportation or a jetpack that won't blow you up, moonshots always sound great. But so far, a lot of moonshots have a long way to go. So Google has to prove Nadella right, or in this case, wrong, that they were just more than marketing. So far, what Google is is a great search company. Greatest on the planet. That's powerful, but it's also replaceable. It's worthy of noting. So I think I hit that pretty hard. I feel comfortable saying that out loud. Amazon's leaked some specs going back to Apple and going back to Amazon as well. And Apple, Amazon hired you know, the guy who invented Google Glass just recently. In an accidental post on Amazon Japan, there's a 4.7-inch iPhone 6 going over the dimensions. Gold's a color option. Up to 64 gigabyte memory. Don't know the chipset. Apple dub it the A8 as it follows the A7, though. We don't know the clock speed or the amount of RAM that will come closely under scrutiny. The design of it, though, is pretty impressive. It shows some changes, which you know still could come, notably the antenna stripes seen on many of the dummy bottles. Maximum memory remains the same with no upgrade to 128 gig, as had been rumored. That said, possibly a 128 gig version may exist as the Amazon page didn't disclose details of, on any other storage sizes. Retail price is a bit of a shock. Um, the current iPhone in Japan is about $849. Uh, this amounts to $1,377. So, Amazon Japan quickly removed the page shortly after posting. It's, you know, it shows a little bit of a leak, right? Uh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Got a big event coming up Thursday night in Los Gatos at the Toll House Hotel. I'd love to see you out there. It's tied towards retirement. Um, If you want to come out, I'll give away one, two free passes. If you want to drop me an email today, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com with the provision that you've never been to one of before. It's the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar in Los Gatos, July 17th. It's five bucks. I mean, I'm not giving you, like, the moon shop. I do provide wine, which is nice. Uh, retirement planning is more complicated than ever. Um, I think one of the big mistakes people make is not having a plan for income budget. You know, income budget go hand in hand. How much income do you have coming in? What's your budget going out? We're going to talk tax-efficient investing, Social Security benefits, outliving your savings, uh, fighting dividend achievers or dividend aristocrats, as uh, Patrick O'Hare mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, I'd love to see you out there. We're going to talk estate planning problems with Michelle Lerman. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. You can sign up at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You can drop me an email, rob at robblack.com as well. Octomom's still in the news. How is this possible? She's pleading no contest to welfare fraud. Um, I don't know what else to say than that, right? So, single count of misdemeanor welfare fraud for failing to disclose income she was receiving from videos and personal appearances. She's got 14 children. I'm not allowed to talk about that. We'll take a break here. Again, you can sign up for the event at robblack.com. I'm not afraid to 
You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. First hour, I tend to focus more on the business news. Second hour, a little bit more on financial planning issues. Sometimes I interweave them for sure. Um, I don't know. You know, like, for instance, NBA seeking double the TV rights it receives from ESPN, which is Disney. Or Turner Broadcasting, which is Time Warner. I was pleased to see this week that um, Adidas beat Nike in bidding for Manchester United. Or I was pleased to see Nike say, you know, enough's enough. This, we don't need this. And, again, just at some point in time, prices have to stop going up. They have to on what we're willing to pay uh, for cable television or what cable television is willing to pay and the channels on it. That's what they're willing to pay for, you know, um, sponsorship deals and relationship deals. We have an interesting day on the market. Janet Yellen's talking and she's kind of spooking people. SP 500's down three, the Dow's up five, the NASDAQ down 21. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton with NewFocusFinancial.com or at NewFocusFinancial.com. He's with New Focus Financial. We've got seminars coming up, Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning. You can learn more about them at robblack.com. So let's talk retirement products. These are topics that might come up at the seminar coming up. What retirement products, and that's a funny way of looking at it. The financial business is all about products. Yeah, well, one of the newest ones that I'll start with that one first because people aren't hearing about it too much is longevity insurance. Longevity insurance. So longevity insurance is an insurance policy that you can buy that if you live past you typically 85, it'll kick in and pay a, a pretty decent benefit. And the payoffs are fairly decent in terms of a if you would invest in yeah. something different than have a lump sum at that age. Um, and then it pays you as long as you live. There's also products out there, Rob, that you when, can when now... Do you, when do you buy that? You, you buy it at retirement ages, like when you retire, okay. 65 plus typically. So you pay um, it for 20 years, and then you hope that you hope that you're still alive. And then if you live and you're healthy at 85, you could live another 15, 20, 25 years. This is the two sisters now that have lived to like 120. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're making two it up. oldest living siblings ever. Uh, um, so in their situation, they would have been very well paid off on a, on some sort of a product. I've never met anybody that's bought it yet, nor have I recommended it. Okay. But there's um, some there's a lot of variable annuities out there that say no matter what you invest in, whatever you invest, they'll pay you five to six percent for the rest of your life. It's not a principal guarantee. Yeah. It's an income for life guarantee, and it's good to have about twenty to thirty percent of your retirement needs coming from guaranteed lifetime income, whether it's Social Security, pension, or you do it your own. If you do it your own and you use one of these variable annuities that offer that lifetime income guarantee, make sure it's no load, very low fees, really good investment choices. Because a lot of the way that those charges for for commission-based brokers is that it eats into your principal so much, what you end up leaving your spouse or your heirs is very, very small. Okay, so it benefits you while you're alive, but what if you die? The money's going to go to your spouse or your heirs, so it costs you too much. But there's also products out there now being sold on balanced portfolios where you can buy Insurance. So you can set up a balanced portfolio and buy insurance for like one, one and a half percent a year extra fees that says this balanced portfolio will provide me income for the rest of my life. So that's kind of the latest trending product out there in retirement. Are those products going to stick around? Because that's one thing that I worry about with insurance products. Like um, a lot of 
businesses are getting out of the annuity business because they didn't think people were going to live that long and they didn't plan for it successfully. And they're getting out of the reverse mortgage business. Right. Banks, another bank just left recently. Um, another company is drastically changing. One of the There's really only four or five really good, decent long-term care providers out there, long-term care insurance right. providers. And one is uh, getting rid of the spousal 40% discount. It's usually a lot cheaper for spouses to buy. That's going away. Lifetime benefits are going away. Premiums are increasing. Um, those, those types of things are becoming more expensive as people live a lot longer. So it's really becoming more and more important to make sure you don't retire too early and build up a nest egg that's more than you think you're going to need. It's kind of a crazy concept. Um, you know, in, under age 60, you think of let's keep our insurance practical. You know, let's you know, not pay the insurance guy too much, but you're telling me that you could buy longevity insurance and you could basically place a bet on whether you're going to live past 85 and start dwindling your assets down. It's crazy the products that's out there. Yeah, I mean, if you kind of think about it in general, if you've got, you know, let's say 30% of your portfolio, you buy that type of insurance on. Right. Where you're paying an extra one, one and a half percent in, in annual fees just to have that peace of mind in the background. And a lot of times I'll run into two people and, you know, married couple, one's more aggressive, one's very conservative. And the conservative person, a lot of times it's that lifetime guarantees and making sure that they're protected if one of them goes into a nursing home. It's really important for them to be able to do those things before they retire. So you got to, you know, there's some give and take in, in spouses when they retire and setting up portfolio and buying, uh, you know, types of retirement products that are out there. Another one that I think that'll start to pick up traction. Um, uh, now it's a little tough with yields so low in bonds because they're kind of price-based on treasuries, but there's things called structured note CDs where right. you can buy CDs that are three to ten years long. And instead of having an annual interest rate, your, your, your return isn't calculated until the end of maturity. And it's based on the movement of different indexes like the S&P 500 um, or some international indexes where you'll get, as long as you keep the CD for three to ten years, depending on the length you buy, it's FDIC insured, and you'll get, say, 45% of the upside of those indexes, but no downside risk. So if CDs are paying you know, less than half a percent, and you could get 40% of an upside of an index over that period of time, a lot of people will start looking at those as well. You've got to be careful on fees on all these products, whether it's structured notes, variable annuities, uh, fixed annuities, bonds, reverse mortgages, longevity insurance. None of these things are free. Right. That's why you work with a person that is certified financial planner, but they have to be able to say they're a fiduciary and they, they're fee-based. They're not commission-based. Come meet Chad Burton at a Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning event soon. Find out more about that at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Rob Black. Again, big event coming up in Los Gatos Thursday night. Not tonight. Not tomorrow night, but Thursday night, 630 to 9. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's a wealth preservation retirement planning event specifically tied towards income. But a lot of other things will be hit. All your questions will be answered. If you want to bring a copy of your portfolio, you can leave that with us. Um, Chad and his team will ask you to like fill out a, a little bit of a risk disclosure so that we know uh, who you are. That's one of the more important things in financial planning is, is the knowing relationship between the two parties. Um, you know, How do you make money? How do you feel about corrections in the market? Those are pretty important issues. Um, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. It's in Los Gatos, 10 Pillars of Retirement Income, Retirement Income Planning Seminar, July 17th. Um, Bit of a drive for me. Um, I've got one free ticket, one free pair. 
if you want to drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. The first pair's already been taken. Uh, but if you want to sign up for the event, it's five bucks. Come on. All of that goes to charity, and it's matched. Um, CFP Chad Burton will be there. I'll be there. Michelle Lerman will be there. All your questions will be answered. Sign up at robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. From time to time, I get a chance to get an executive or an insight into the economy that's a little different, so I pull in a guest. Uh, This is one of those times to chit-chat with Gregory Dickinson. Um, Hold on, let me get that right. (laughs) Gregory Dickinson. Um, How are you, sir? I'm good. Good morning. You're from Deloitte. Tell me a little bit about who you are. Well, sure. First, you can call me Greg. But the okay. uh, So Deloitte runs a survey of large company CFOs called CFO Signals, and that's a quarterly survey of uh, CFOs from very large North American companies, and we've been running that for about four years. And so my role is to lead that one and sort of share the insights that we get from that. CFOs, obviously, uh, important employees at corporations, important executives, given insights into how the economies work and how they uh, companies working in particular. Right. Um, why do you run? Who do? Who's this survey for? It's for the CFOs actually. So we, it's really a forum in the form of a survey, and we launched it mainly to help CFOs exchange their thinking on a quarterly basis around how they're seeing in the macro economy, how they see their industries, uh, how they see uh, approaches to regulation, and how they just see you know their own careers even and their own finance functions. So it's really a way just to do what's pretty tricky, which is to help CFOs understand what their, their real peer group is thinking on, on all those fronts. How many CFOs were surveyed for this? Yeah, so it usually runs around 100, and for this past quarter, it was 113. Okay. And the survey was done in the middle of May, you know, which gives you some sense of what the conditions were when they, uh, the last time that they answered the, the survey. And, and the next one actually goes live in, uh, in early August, so we'll have another updated view in about a month and a half or so. So this is going to give us chit-chat and a little bit about domestic hiring, and things have slightly improved since May, I think, from the data that we've seen. Uh, so people should take that into perspective when they're uh, listening to your results. What have we seen in domestic hiring? Yeah, you know, you know so at, at best, when people seem the most optimistic, and this is sort of back in late 2010 sort of to mid-2011, we were seeing expectations of about 3% 
uh, domestic hiring growth among these big company CFOs. You know, and and that was really the peak. And since then, it's it has fallen fairly consistently to where it's leveled out somewhere in the you know, the one and a half percent range. And the latest quarter, the estimate came through at 1.6 percent year over year um, domestic hiring growth. And good news is that's better than the one percent from uh, a quarter prior. You know, the bad news is that's not really the type of rate that makes big dents uh, in in unemployment, and it certainly doesn't do it very quickly. And I think there, the second thing that we've learned from the survey around this is isn't just the hiring rate; it's what kinds of people these large companies are looking to hire. And, uh, and you know, we've heard a lot of discussion around structural unemployment, and pretty much everything that we've heard through the survey confirms that. You know, the types of people that they're looking to hire now are very much the white-collar, analytical, project management, you know, um, very heavily skilled and experienced types of staff. So that's who they're looking for. So at the same time, we've had fairly high unemployment rates at a national level, we've been getting very constant complaints from a lot of these companies that they can't find the talent they're looking for. And I think that really reinforces that notion of structural employment that was a big topic at various points over the last couple of years. Is the trend getting better for the average people or from what you just said, is it looks sounds a little bit like for the average person who's not the white-collar manager, sounds like it's still pretty tough out there. Well, obviously, you know, the, the viewpoint that we get through this survey is from these large, mostly public companies. You know, I think for, the, for most of those companies, what you said is pretty accurate. You know, the, it's a good time to be um, a very highly skilled, very analytical, very um, white-collar middle management type of, of, uh, of professional right now. It's you know, obviously a much tougher time to be more blue-collar and manufacturing, you know, and those sorts of roles. You know, I think... To, to tell the full story on that, though, I think you need to probably look at what's happening in the, the middle market, too, because you know, as, as much as the opinions of these large companies matter, you know, they still don't make up the majority of the economy. So an awful lot still driven from the, the middle market that we don't survey. So I don't know we can read too much in at an economic level, but from the standpoint of where the, the large companies are, are doing their hiring, yeah, you know, it's, it's certainly a better time to be you know, a highly skilled, more white-collar type of worker. Speaking with Greg Dickinson from Deloitte, they've run a survey recently of CFOs, giving us some insights in the economy and particularly the job market. Um, a lot of the CFOs that you're, you know, doing a, a survey with, obviously, are tied towards publicly traded companies, some privately co- yeah. private companies. Yes. But their earnings um, are their earnings of these corporations jiving with their hiring, or are the earnings kind of fat compared to where they're hiring? Yeah, that's interesting too, and you know, the. You know, and this has been a subject of a lot of media coverage too. Which, um, you know, there's been a lot made of the fact that companies have a lot of cash sitting on their balance sheets, and a lot of criticism on you know, why aren't they using that cash to either start investing through capex or to start hiring people. And what we've really seen is that there's sort of a wait and see um, bias in most of these companies to where they want to make sure that the growth is there before they commit to long-term resources and long-term hiring. And you know, so in a lot of ways, you know, we, we watch the um, capital investment and the hiring numbers because they seem to give a sense of where companies really see things going. So even if you get a blip in sales and you get a, a blip in earnings, if it doesn't translate into a blip in hiring and, uh, and, um, you know, and also in uh, capital expenditures, it shows that there's still some caution. And I think we're still seeing that you know, in uh, the most recent survey, too. What else? Uh, we're starting to wrap up here with Greg Dickinson from Deloitte. Any other findings in the surveys that you really think are particularly useful or insightful that you really want to highlight? 
Yeah, you know, I think you know the the headline story that we had for this survey was was just that there's really a, a mixed bag of messages coming back from these CFOs, and you know, if you've been watching, um, you know, any of the, the news channels or any of the, the major um, financial publications, you probably get the same sense. And even if you were listening to Janet Yellen's comments earlier this morning, you know, it seems like something's going on where maybe we're stabilizing, maybe things are getting less volatile, maybe there's some complacency, maybe there's not. And what we really see in the survey is that there's there's a lot of that um, concern among these uh, large company executives too, where we're seeing a lot of divergence of opinion. It seems like some folks are feeling pretty good about things and that their optimism around their companies and their economies is is actually getting better and better. And at the same time, there's there, there are camps of CFOs who think maybe we've overextended ourselves a little bit. I still want to wait and see. So usually at these types of points. Um, you know, when there's this type of confusion, you know, we, we get the kinds of things that we're we're seeing through this survey of just um, some trepidation when it comes to doing the hiring. And, and um, uh, you know, I think the, the, a lot of the earnings that are going to come out, you know, over the next couple of weeks are going to probably help determine which way people's sentiment goes. Thanks very much. It's Greg Dickinson from Deloitte giving us some insights. Deloitte surveyed 113 CFOs across North America, gave us some insights on... Um, you know, companies that have a billion dollars in revenue on who they're hiring and who they're not hiring, manufacturing CFOs were more downbeat than the rest of the group. Some 39% expressed declining optimism. Net optimism overall was holding pretty steady, but lower earnings and capital spending growth expectations suggest that the United States CFOs are factoring bumps um, that were not on their radar screens three months ago. So we're getting through this, and companies like Deloitte obviously have a very close tie to the pulse of the economy. So... That's good stuff. Again, that's Greg Dickinson from Deloitte. Thanks for coming on. Onward and forward. Let's talk a little bit about what we're seeing on Wall Street today. Um, Janet Yellen's talking. Um, He referred to that, Greg did, that she's kind of saying some negative. I'm not going to say negative. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but the market's not liking what's coming out of her mouth. And let me give you a little bit of, you know, angle on that. She went out of her way to say labor participation, something that she watches. Uh, it measures the share of working age people in the labor force was 62.8% last month, matching the lowest since 1978. Among the unemployed, about a third have been out of work six months or longer. That's a long time. She told lawmakers that the central bank must press on with their monetary stimulus as a significant slack remains in the labor markets and inflation is still below her goal. That should be positive for the markets. Because she's accommodative. She's making money cheap. Cheap so you can go get a mortgage. Cheap so that you can go, um, you know, borrow money as a corporation cheaper. She also went on to talk about housing. And again, it's tough to talk housing in the Bay Area because everyone kind of has their I'm in love with it feeling. But Federal Reserve Chairman Janet Yellen said, uh, and she's doing a, a big speech in front of Congress today. She said the housing sector, it's shown little recent progress. While this sector has recovered notably from its earlier trough, housing activity leveled off in the wake of last year's increase in mortgage rates. Readings this year have overall continued to be disappointing. In her May testimony to the JEC, the Joint Economic Committee, she warned that housing data has been disappointing. Recent flattening out of the housing activity could be proved to be more protracted than currently expected uh, and thus stop its recovery. Um, We've had a good run. And you don't go up every year without paying a price down the road. Whether it's the stock market, whether it's Jack and his beanstalk, um, things just don't grow to the, the moon 
they have to, you know, uh, cut back, whether it's housing or stock market or, like, for instance, I ran 21 miles in three days and hurt my heel. So I had to cut back and let it heal for a couple days. Uh, anyhow, anyway, thanks for listening to the show. You can find me online at robblack.com. Big event coming up in Los Gatos Thursday night, a couple days from now. It's an income and retirement, teaching you all about what you need to know. Don't make a mistake. Come to the event. You can sign up at robblack.com. AM 12. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. If you're in the Bay Area, after I jump off radio, jump right onto TV, 915. You can find me. Um, you can find me on Channel 4 Cron. Um, you can also find me at Facebook. What do I mean by Facebook? Um, you can find me at Facebook under, where is it under? Oh, I hate Rob Black. Uh, Twitter, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. And uh, soon I'm going to be introducing a new email address. But for now, you can still use Rob at RobBlack.com. It's Rob at RobBlack.com. And again, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. A couple things. Um, big event coming up Thursday night. I'd love to see you out there. Going to be going over income stocks, what you need to know, why you need to know it. Ten Pillars Plus. It's the Toll House Hotel, which is a lovely place for a meeting. Uh, great bar, great hotel, easy parking. You just have to get to Los Gatos at 6.30, which can be a little bit difficult. So I highly recommend eating dinner in Los Gatos before the event. Uh, if you're coming to the event, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com, and maybe I'll sit down with you and have a meal with you because... It's a bit of a hike in that traffic, so I like to get there early. Um, Rob at robblack.com. So tax-efficient investing, and I tend to buy dinner. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, Tax-efficient investing, maximizing Social Security, outliving your savings, estimating your retirement expenses, um, figuring out dividend achievers, and that's my my specialty. CFP Chad Burton handles the Social Security tax efficiency, the outliving your savings. You don't want that to happen. I've got family members who are living on Social Security, and that's all they have, um, aunts and uncles, and they're poor. I'm going to be quite out, and I'm going to say it, and poor is not a bad word. It's discouraging to think that the best years of your life, that you're not, no, 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 the last years of your life, maybe not the best, but I think you should be living in, not luxury, but I think you should be living well. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people can't. Um, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. You don't want to count on Social Security. You don't want to put all your money in one egg in one basket either. So you want to diversify your income portfolio. I'll go over how to do that, what that looks like, why it's important. Um, but I'd love to see you out there. And again, I do these events because I get to see the people, and I really appreciate it. So Toll House Hotel, 10 Pillars of Retirement and Income Planning Seminar, Thursday, 6.30 to 9. It's just a couple days. Give me a big push right now and sign up because uh, I'd love to see you. Also, I'm going to be sending out a newsletter tomorrow. 
And this is going to go over current market conditions, maybe one stock idea, as well as some in, uh, investment comments. Uh, sometimes I find some like really insightful trends that I like to share with you. Um, so I'd love to see you. I'd love to see you out. Um, but if you want to sign up for that newsletter, it's Rob at robblack.com. Oh, no, you actually sign up for it at robblack.com, robblack.com, and there's something that says newsletter sign up. So see you out. Big stories of the day, in my opinion, and not necessarily market movers, but Janet Yellen's talking, and she says, you know, the job market's tough. It's, it's weak. Housing market's not doing what she wanted it to. It's t- starting to taper off. So we may have an accommodative Fed through 2014, maybe into 2015. I'm expecting it. Now, again, will they do more quantitative easing? It looks like they're trying to wrap up that program, quantitative easing three. Disappointing auto sales today. Lead retail sales up just two-tenths of a percent. Warmer weather hasn't meant looser wallets. Small increase was held back by weak sales at building materials, autos, and garden supply. Um, fifth straight month of increases where there was nearly a 1% decrease in sales following the holiday season in January. So this is nice. This is nice. Big job cuts at Microsoft. Microsoft set a 52-week high on that news. 5,800 job cuts coming later this year. Novartis and Google are working on some smart contact lenses that will monitor uh, glucose and help fix your vision at the same time. Yeah, Pretty cool. That's a wearable technology that is so much better than Google Glass, in my opinion. And at state stands to lose billions from corporate tax inversions, uh, up to $20 billion over 10 years. Corporate tax code has to change. We're not competitive with other countries. Uh, that's my opinion, and we're going to see billions of dollars of taxes leave this country uh, and go to other countries. Um, and that's the opinion of you know the Congress corporate tax consultant um, that's non uh, – it doesn't lean right or left. They try to be as moderate as possible. So they're just saying that's the fact, Jack. Reynolds American is buying rival L'Oreal for $27 billion. I like that story because it's two tobacco companies becoming one. How many tobacco companies does the world need? Uh, it's like playing Monopoly with six people. After you get you know, two or three people knocked out, you see how monopolies make their money. When you own a whole street and everyone who goes on that street, you know, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So the U.S. cigarette market's dipping. And that's why these guys have to merge and acquire each other. Um, in 2008, um, the conventional cigarette market's fallen pretty steadily, uh, shrinking nearly a fifth since 2008. Uh, shares of U.S. adults who smoke has fallen from 42% in 1965 to 33% in 1980 to 25% in 1995 and 18% in 2012. That 18% of Americans, I'm stunned by that number. Facebook's is going to start uh, working with Nielsen's to tell Nielsen what you're watching. Social networks are going to scan its databases and send the age and gender of the viewer to Nielsen, TV ratings measurement company, to help advertisers learn more about the audience watching shows online. The very definition of watching TV has changed ever so fast. So those are the top stories of the day. Taking a, one last look at the market, again, Dow's above 17,000. It's pretty awesome to be at a record high or near a record high um, in the month of July. Sometimes these uh, summer months tend to get a little bit uh, weaker because there's just not a lot of hands on Wall Street pushing them. Uh, very, very low volume. NASDAQ's down 39. The Dow's down 29. The S&P 500's down 8. It's not looking like a great day, is it? Anyhow, Citigroup had pretty good earnings, and that's important to see a big financial come out with nice numbers. 
We'll take a break here. We'll come back in 22 hours. Don't forget to sign up for that event today, which is on Thursday. Thursday um, in Los Gatos. It's an income retirement planning event. You can sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.